Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Osroff, CEO and co-founder of Vicarious, a vulnerability remediation platform that's raised over $29 million in funding. Michael, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brad. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Cool. So I'm a tech guy, always have been started from basically every position, starting from customer service, knock engineer, up to uh, VP R&D. And this is what I always like to do. This is what I also do today. I know that a lot of times it surprises people that a company of like 50 people, the CEO will still write code and stuff. And I always tell them, okay, but Bill Gates was also doing this and then they shut up. So I still write code sometime. I still very connected to the product. That's what I like to do. We started Vicarious in 2016 with my two co-founders. And ever since we've been focused on this problem, uh, vulnerability remediation. Yeah. And that's pretty much it in terms of my background. So, yeah, hope that answers your question. Yeah, so to you know, zoom in on when you were you know, a bit younger, when did you know that you wanted to go into tech? Was that when you were five years old, 10 years old, 15? You know, when did you really have that realization of what you wanted to do? Yeah, so when I was in Israel, I, I was born and raised in a small neighborhood in Israel. And I was the first in the, like, I used to have the 486 computers and I, I was the first guy with the CD burner. So everyone was coming to my house to burn CDs and stuff like that. And uh, as I started to, you know, I went to the army in Israel, everyone goes to the army. And I started to see a lot of problems, you know, a lot of problems in many stuff. Like I started, I was in logistics and it's just a lot of things that were not functioning the way they were supposed to function. And a lot of the things were not being done in the most efficient way. So I was thinking, like, how can you do it better? So, you know, so I, I started to play around with Excel. And back then there was Visual Basic and VBA and all, all these ancient technologies. And then I started to get into other stuff like web servers, like Apache server and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was running my own web server from my house where from my sister room. And I was just amazed on how much you can do with, you know, with a computer and just publishing stuff and everyone can access it. And as the time passed, like projects got bigger and bigger. For example, when my bachelor degree, I did a project actually with one of the founders of Vicarious today with Roy. And we built a quite interesting app for tracking down air quality around the world. And we basically sold it back then. And it was all, you know, three dudes from Israel without any money, like we didn't spend any money on the app or anything. And this is what's kind of the spark, you know, like how big can you go? Like how far can you go with, with this thing? You know, it was just like three dudes writing something from Jerusalem, which is not like even inside of Israel, it's not like a tech hub or anything. So we just wanted to see how much we can do. And that's what sparked Vicarious. We always knew that we're going to start a business. And then Roy got into cybersecurity and uh, we met some cool people that we wanted to start a business with them. The third co-founder, Yossi, was one of them. So then it started from there. And we saw a lot of big problems in cybersecurity. You know, you can go to Black Hat today and see 500 vendors. 
but there's still a lot of funding going into cybersecurity. There's still a lot of good platforms that gain a lot of traction. So that was kind of the inspiration to start from there. Nice. And how many years did you serve in the military? Four. And how would you say that you know, your time in the IDF influenced how you think and operate as a founder and as a leader now? That's a good question. I think this is one of the core reasons why Israel became such a huge hub for startups, not only in cybersecurity, in any other fields, because, you know, you're 18 and the level of responsibility that you're going to get in the Israeli army is not compared to anything you can imagine. And I'm not talking like I started in infantry. OK, so in, in infantry and, and we like it's always funny for us as Israelis, because in, in the U.S., in order to drink, you need to be 21. In, in Israel, when you're 18, they're going to give you a gun whether you like it or not, because everyone needs to serve their time. And it's not only when it comes to infantry and field units and stuff like that, it's also in the back office. Units like A200, which I was not a member of, but you get so much responsibility and and such big challenges that you need to solve with not a lot of money, because the army budget of Israel is quite high, but it's never enough for all the projects that they want to do. So you have young people with creative ideas taking on themselves huge, huge challenges. And it's a recipe for something good, you know, because these guys go out of the army, start their own businesses. A lot of times they also, you know, their co-founders is people that they met in the army. For example, for me, my commander in the army was one of my pre-seed investors. Okay. The first time I got hooked into programming was in the Israeli army, and then I can do whatever I want. No one told me, okay, this you can't do, or this you, or you should do this. I had to figure out all of this myself. I think that's, that's kind of the, the core reason why you see all this huge businesses coming out of Israel. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? I think also when you just look at the success that companies from Israel have, the startup founders have to be, you know, pretty well primed to deal with challenges. If they've, you know, been at war and had people shooting at them, then when you move over to start a company, it's probably a joke, right? Some of the challenges that you face day to day. I also think that Israeli companies sometimes, for example, and you can take us as an example, we take huge challenges. For example, I saw this company ClickUp, which uh, is taking on Asana and Slack and all, all these huge companies. And you say, okay, these guys are crazy. They're not only disrupting one industry, they're disrupting four or five. And and yeah, you know, the courage of doing something like this, it's not very common. And this, this is what we also try to do. If you talk about the security industry, we are going after four or five huge, huge industries. It's not just one niche solution for a problem. It's something big. It's a vulnerability scanning, it's prioritization, it's remediation, it's automation. It's all bundled inside one product. And yeah, I think it's it goes back again to the army. Like you fight for your life, basically. So building a product, okay, it's going to be hard, but we're going to manage it, you know? Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk a bit more about Vicarious. I know you just mentioned four categories there, but to go back before we dive into those categories, can you give us just a high-level overview of what the platform does? Sure. So Vicarious is uh, Vicarious Topia, which is the name of the product, is an autonomous vulnerability remediation solution. I know it sounds vague for people that are not necessarily from the security industry. And to explain that, I will explain how vulnerability remediation is being done today. So infrastructure vulnerability remediation is being done using four or five products. The first step in the process is scanning for vulnerabilities. It's usually being done using network scanners. The second phase is the prioritization, which is being done using other sets of products. And then you have the remediation. Remediation is being done using patching, scripting, configuration changes. 
etc. And then sometimes you also have automation, like a tool that will connect to all the different tools that I just mentioned and will orchestrate the work to make it more efficient and more collaborative because it's also spread out between two teams. So you have security team, which is in charge of identifying and prioritizing vulnerabilities, and the IT slash DevOps team that is in charge of the actual remediation. So what Vicarious is did, what we did is basically going back to the whiteboard and saying, okay, if we would have built vulnerability remediation today from scratch, how would you do that? And we basically took all these capabilities, all these different products, all these processes that are not very collaborative between different teams, and we combined it under one license, one dashboard, easy to integrate in the cloud, and we combined with it more proactive capabilities for vulnerability remediation when, because businesses sometimes can deploy the security or the enforcement strategy they want over threats they found on the network. So it's a one toolbox that encapsulates all the different parts of vulnerability remediation, automated, easy to use, easy to integrate with next generation capabilities. As for the future, we also build a community called vSociety. And vSociety is a place for IT admins, security engineers, whoever is interested in learning more about security vulnerabilities that they can all collaborate and offer ways to detect vulnerabilities and mitigate them. Now we are going to double down on that and make the product a crowdsourced product because we think that vulnerability remediation is too big of a problem for one company or few companies to manage. So what we're going to say, we're going to say, okay, here is the vulnerability. The vendor hasn't responded with a patch yet, so we don't have a traditional security mitigation strategy. But maybe someone from India or someone from the US or someone from Colombia has found a way to create a compensating control. So we're going to aggregate this from the public and then offer it first as a public resource for everyone to use. We're not going to create gates in order to reach this information. But on the other hand, it will also enrich our platform. So now we're taking this very cool toolbox that we build and we're adding a crowdsource gate into it. Very cool. And how big is that community today? So today we have around 500 users. It's not very big. Most of like around 20% of the community is actually creating content, which Mm -hmm. is not a lot, but still it's a start. We will double down on it definitely on our Series B round. And this is kind of the next stage of the product and of the company when it comes to um, go to market. We're a PLG company. We don't have a large outbound operation. All of our customers, close to 300, they all came through the website or through partners that came through the website. So we're just going to double down on this. And we really hope, we always thought that in order to be a recognized brand in the industry, you have to do something different. You know, hiring SDRs, hiring an expensive PR firm, it's good until a certain point. It will work for a lot of companies. For us, it didn't really work. And that's why we completely went to PLG. And this free resource, open source contribution, all this kind of stuff are things that are the focus for the company for 2023. Nice. I love that. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've been reading about how PLG has been, it's been very slow to be embraced in the cybersecurity field. And there's, you know, companies that are really pushing for it hard, but a lot of the buying still does you know, happen from the enterprise sales motion. Why do you think cybersecurity has been so slow to embrace PLG? So we divided in, into two. First, are the vendors that are in the security industry wants their products to be self-serve, to be easy to use, not to be gated, things like that. That's one. And second, are the products ready? You know, when we talked about the vulnerability assessment industry, it's not that easy to deploy a scanner. You need to have certain level of knowledge. So for the first point, 
I think that it, it was beneficial for the security industry not to be product-led. Why? Because they want you to speak with a sales rep. They want you to figure out more ways to figure out how to charge more for the product or things like that. For the second point, for what I said for deployment, a lot of the products today in the in the cybersecurity industry were not designed to be multi-tenant or multi-multi-tenant. They were designed to deploy internally. Why? Because of privacy concerns and things like that. So it took time for customers to understand that if you have all of your customer data, if you have all of your financial data, if you have everything in the cloud, why wouldn't you also have your security operation? Of course, you can have different measures over it. You can have you can have the product deployed in a private cloud. You can limit the access to this solution, but it just doesn't make sense that everything will go to the cloud, but security solutions won't. So I think that also, you know, traditional businesses are now shifting their architecture into a cloud motion, but, you know, it's much easier for a company like us to build a product from scratch that is in the cloud and its architecture is already developed in such a way that it's that is the most, you know, updated one. It's it's a very new technology from a company that has 20,000 customers. And now they need to continue to support their old deployments, the on-prem deployment and other deployments that they did. And at the same time, start selling a new line of business, which is their cloud offering. So I think it's a combination of these two. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what are your views when it comes to market categories? You know, does Gartner describe vulnerability management in the same way how you're thinking about it? Or do you guys have you know, two different viewpoints on what vulnerability management should look like and should be? So it's a good question. Gartner has been talking for years about the shift of uh, vulnerability management. So it's basically three categories. So you have the first category, which is the assessment category. The second one, which is prioritization. And the third one, it, which is the remediation, which splits around multiple categories. Gartner has been talking for years about moving from assessment and gathering threats to an actual remediation. And they came up with a, a new category called vulnerability prioritization and remediation, which is a new category that is currently being uh, uh, shifted. I think that you can also see that in the market, like, for example, if you will see the big vulnerability assessment companies, they kind of build new line of businesses and starting to, you know, trying to generate more money from, for example, some company investing a lot in the in the cloud security space. So they're trying to build more line of businesses that the core is not scanners and vulnerability assessments, probably because they also figure out that just telling a customer how bad he is and how bad is cyber hygienist is just not enough today. And we also see that like when coming to compete against pure vulnerability assessment products, most of the time, it doesn't make sense for the customer to go only with assessment solution where he can bundle in assessment, prioritization, remediation, automated in more or less the same price, easier to integrate. So it just doesn't make sense. So I think the market is shifting and um, and we're going to see interesting stuff in this market. We already see that with Orca and Wiz, all these huge companies mm-hmm. that are slowly focused on vulnerability assessment for cloud security. So. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. And from the founders I've you know, spoken to on the podcast, I hear you know, really split kind of 50-50 on how they view the importance of firms like Gartner and Forrester in their overall go-to-market plans. So for you, what are your thoughts on Gartner? You know, is it mission critical to have a relationship with them as you get your product adopted by more enterprise companies? Or do you view that as an outdated model and you know, it's going to be more PLG um, and you know, other ways of acquiring customers? I think that Gartner also came up to the conclusion that people change their buying behavior 
for example, you talk about Gartner. Gartner owns Peer Insight and they own uh, Captera, where, where we do spend money because mm-hmm. this is where our, our users spend their time. I think it all goes back to what is the target market. For example, for us, the mid-market was very successful. And for, you know, 10,000 and up to 60,000, the buying behavior is completely different from someone that would buy a solution for half million or one million. So for us, we're still drilling on the on the mid-market. It doesn't mean that we don't have enterprise accounts, but most of our business does come from uh, mid-market 500 to 2,000. We have some larger accounts and with our private cloud offering, we're going to have much, much more. And at the end, we do want to have more enterprise business. With this shift, I think the strategy for user acquisition and with what you mentioned, you know, uh, Gartner, Forster, all these companies, I think that the buyers for this size of businesses spend most of their time in Forster or in Gartner, or they will be assisted by a Gartner analyst to pick the best vulnerability assessment solution. So once our focus will start shifting more towards that, we will definitely spend more money and time on this analyst firm. Makes a lot of sense. And are there any numbers that you can share that just showcase the traction and growth that you've seen so far? Yeah, definitely. So we're going to grow this year more than 3x than last year. We're going to finish the year with around 4 million in ARR, 300 customers. This will be the second year that we're growing 3x. We hope our plans is also to grow 3x next year as well, if that makes sense. And um, yeah. Wow. Very cool. And you know, the world of cybersecurity is full of tools. You know, as you mentioned, Black Hat, you know, I was just there in August and walking around, I had to just think to myself, you know, like, damn, how do you stand out in this world? Because everyone seems to be saying the same thing, or you know, there's very similar messaging, even though the actual solutions and the tools vary and do very different things. So what are you guys doing to really break through that noise in this you know, crazy world of cybersecurity tools? First, I think you're completely correct with your observation about conferences. I don't like conferences. I don't think that conferences are easy to measure in terms of ROI. We didn't take a boot in the RSA. We didn't take a boot in Black Hat. It's easier for me to spend the money that I would spend on the RSA in other campaigns that I can very accurately measure what I'm going to get from those ones. In terms of messaging and communicating what we do that is different, it's a challenge and it's a constant challenge. As I said before, we're trying to be a PLG company. So we are trying to put the product in the customer hands, even if it means that we will lose deals because of it. Because, you know, uh, one of our competitors will sit down with a customer and explains every certain button in the product. And for us, the customer will just do it on its own. But it's also going to make our product better because we're going to learn where we fail and going to make our product better all the time. So for us, the website is important. The marketing materials are important. But for us, the main focus is always the product, putting the product in the hands of as much as many people as we can. And this was one of the reasons why we started our open source initiative, why we provided freemium versions of our product for open source users of Nmap. Because, of course, we want to give something back to the community. Nmap is an amazing product. I know the founder. But we also want to take the opportunity to someone that uses Nmap and wants a nice UI or wants to track down the history of his scans We also want him to check out the product for a free trial. And if he likes it, maybe even become a customer. It doesn't mean that we we block him from using the product if he's not going to do that. But yeah, it's it's definitely one of the reasons. So our initiatives are going mostly in that direction, in the direction of companies like Datadog, uh, Sneak, the Misto companies that started either from a community, and that's what's the first source of users, 
or they're starting from an open source product like uh, uh, MongoDB. You know, the people were deploying MongoDB for free. Then they started their cloud initiative and everyone, we are using Mongo Atlas, a great product. So this is how we want to build our business. We want to be in the same list with these companies rather than most of the security companies. Because we see, and you said it very correct, you know, a lot of people question how efficient product-led growth is for the cybersecurity industry. Our numbers show different. So we're going to double down on that. And what I've seen is, you know, a lot of people are talking about PLG, they want to pursue it, but it seems like where those efforts fail is when they, you know, think it's like a side tactic, or it's like a one off thing. From what I've heard from speaking with founders, they say, you know, it's a mindset, and it's a culture, and you really have to embrace that idea of being product led throughout the entire organization, and then it can be successful. But if you just do it as this, you know, kind of side project and side initiative, and don't really embrace it, then it's never going to work. So I think that's super interesting what you said there. Of, you know, it's all about the product. That shows, I think, that you know your beliefs align with that idea that you know being PLG is more than just a marketing thing. It's a it's a business strategy, right? Definitely. And and I think that uh, you know right now it's very sexy to say, yeah, we have this PLG offering now, or we're shifting the business to be a PLG. We didn't became a PLG company because it was cool. When we launched our product as a self serve product, people say we're we're insane. Who does that in the security industry? We did it because it's actually an interesting story. We came back from our estate 2020 and we saw the world shutting down. We saw the world shutting down. We said, where are companies are going to get leads? There would be no conferences, you know, uh, SD like, and then we saw everyone doubling down on their expenses on SDRs and the amount of spam that you have today on LinkedIn, the amount of spam calls that people get has made outbound operation much, much harder you know, the numbers go slower. So we just put the product, we just put the product as a self-serve product. We didn't, like, it was not that we sat down with the board and said, listen, guys, this is a strategic decision. We're going to be a product-led world company. People were not talking about product-led back then. So we just put the product there. And then the mindset of the marketing team, of the sales team has shifted from, okay, how do I get more demos to how do I get more people visiting my website? And once we're getting people to visit the website, how do we convert them into paying customers, which is mostly an almost an e-commerce, almost a consumer play, okay? You, you want people to register to Facebook. We want people to register to our product. And once you, you go there, you have a lot of good practices on how to convert, how to change your website, how to make it more compelling, how to increase conversion. So this is what we did. And, and what you said is complete. I often get calls from founders telling me, listen, we want to be a PLG. Okay, how do you measure your, your pipeline? How do you measure your ad campaigns? Like, how do you do all these things? Do you have a, a metrics inside your product which tells you how successful your campaigns were? Do you know what's the PQL? What's the product qualified list that you have? All these things are foundation for you just to begin with, other than having the product as a software product, which is also a very big challenge for companies that didn't build a product like this from scratch. It also took us two quarters to shift our product from standalone product to a cloud service. So as you said, it's a huge decision. It's not something that you can... Say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a freemium version. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work like this. So yeah, completely agreed. Nice. Yeah, it's super helpful advice, I think, to any founder listening who's on the fence and considering it, that it's a, it's a major undertaking. So appreciate your thoughts there. Last question for you here as we wrap up. If we zoom out into the future, what's the five-year vision for the company? So the five-year vision for the company is definitely, when I tell you today which endpoint security solution, you know, you'll probably tell me, CrowdStrike, most probably, or Sentinel-1. I want, when people talk about vulnerability remediation, I, I want them to talk about Vicarious as such 
from a commercial perspective. Definitely, like I live very close by to the New York Stock Exchange, but we probably need to go to NASDAQ. So definitely being there, we're growing good. We're laying the foundation to build a big company. So everything is there. Just keep on executing and, and yeah. Nice. I love it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to share your story and your vision. This is all super exciting. And I look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Look forward to seeing you ring the bell at the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, wherever you end up. <laughs> thanks, Brett. Pleasure right. talking to you. Keep in touch. Bye.